that does? The very first thing when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The very first thing we need to wake up is give him worship. So what does worship do? Worship puts us in alignment with the Father. And you know what else it does? <laughs> if you got a principality dogging you, if you got something going on in your life, that you, I'm telling you, worship, it, 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 it glorifies the Father. It puts us in alignment with Him, and it dethrones principalities because we enthrone Christ in worship. Don't forget to worship. And I've been all over the chart today because I feel like that, I, that God gave me something. And then I feel like that sometimes, you know, he's, he, he changes it a little bit. So I'm going to start and give you some scriptures today. And I'm going to come from Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is like my life chapter. I got my, my crew back there laughing because they know it. And my friend Ronnie back there don't think I can do it fast and get you out of here. <laughs> and I'm just not sure what's going to happen. So, but I do want to get invited back sometime. And in Romans 8 and 1, I'm going to come from the, the New Living Translation. And it says, so, there, so now there's no condemnation for the, those who belong to Christ Jesus. Do you belong to him? And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. That second song that we sang, what was it called? I belong to you. What does that mean? If I've been sealed, like Scripture says, with his promise, if he, like our Sunday school lesson, if he has put that deposit in us, I don't belong to the addiction anymore. I, I don't belong to the hate that I used to have. I, I don't belong to what my fleshly desires. I belong to Jesus. And that's why it's all about him, which was this last song we just sang. It's about him. It can't be about Pastor Mark. It, it can't be about me. It has to be about him. So I'm not here to entertain you today. And we're going to see what truth God is going to share. All right? Because the church, I feel like in this day and age that God has called me to be a watchman. That I should have a sword in one hand and a light in the other. Like Nehemiah, right? He said, have a sword in one hand, watch, fight, and pray. And we need watchmen to tell you, look what's going on in the world. Look at the signs of the times. Don't get discouraged because you know what? It's coming. What's coming? Persecution's coming. The church in America has never dealt with persecution. Oh, but we're ready to give up when we break a nail. We, we've never, you know, we can't find a job. We get discouraged and we're ready to give up. What happens when persecution comes to your doorstep and our government tells you Christianity is outlawed because y'all the problem? If you haven't really watched what's going on in the news, if you really haven't watched what laws you're trying to pass, I promise you, I tell you, why did our government leave all them people abandoned in Afghanistan? We, we lost soldiers that went back over there. Hey, and our government said, you know, you're on your own. I don't preach politics. Because I haven't sold out to the religion of politics. But I'm sold out to Christ. But we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. You know, we get people that get upset. They get, because 
because of, of this lie, but we have bought into lie after lie after lie after lie. And we think that our Savior is the government, a lot of us. The church is not even the Savior. Jesus is because he's the head of the church. And I'm proud of a guy by the name of Glenn Beck. I don't know if anybody knows who he is. But in, in 48 hours, he raised $22 million with his, uh, I guess with his name, with, with, with his fame. And he hired people, ex-military retirees and veterans. And they armed them and they sent them over there and they just brought back 5,100 Christians from Afghanistan, flew them out of there to safety. Now, now tell me that God ain't moving through his people. And we need to get rid of the lies. It ain't about black versus white and white versus black and, and brown versus this skin and that skin. Just to tell you just a small portion of me, y'all are looking at a dude that was a racist. I hated black people with a passion. I wanted revenge on the black man that murdered my father. But God delivered me and set me free. And he gave me a heart of love. Some of you don't even know me. But if you really, some of you that do know me, you know that I love people. And I'm not afraid to share my story of, my, of his deliverance, what he did for me. Because I know it ain't about skin, it's about sin. I, I, I know what it's like to be addicted. I, I know what it's like to be told you'll never be nothing. I know what it's like to, for them to tell me you're going to be just like your jacked up dad. I know what it's like to be the abuser and I know what it's like to be abused. I know what it's like to be the guy that abandons and I know what it's like to be abandoned. I know what it's like to be rejected. But I know what it's like to be accepted by God. So he tells us in Romans 8 and 1 that there's therefore now no condemnation. I feel like preaching, Pastor Mark, to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. He don't condemn me for my past. He forgave me for my past. I'm going to tell you, he rescued me. You know what I love about him? He'll rescue you too. You know what I, you know, we, 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 we sang, there, there's an old gospel song that says, uh, if he has to reach way down, Jesus will pick you up, right? Way down, Jesus will pick you up. You know what? I'm telling you, he does reach way down, but that wasn't good enough for Christ because he planted two feet on this earth. And he said, I'm going to walk the walk that you have to walk. I'm going to go through the same temptations. But you know what? I'm not going to sin, and I'm going to be the perfect sacrifice. And I'm going to make sure that nothing ever again comes between you and being able to enter into the presence of God because them angels, I believe, came on his death and shredded that veil at the temple. No longer will you have to be separate. I'm telling you, healing is in the house. Forgiveness is in the house. I, I okay, we serve an awesome God. So I want to talk to you a little bit this morning. And I want you to go down to verse 11. This has kind of been my life scripture for like seven years. My old life scripture was, was uh, Romans 8 and 28, that, uh, that, we, that we know that all things work together for them that, to the good of them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. But seven years ago, this month, the Lord beat leukemia in me. I was given a death sentence. September the 17th, coming up in a few weeks, I'm going to be celebrating seven years cancer-free. And I keep going back, and he says, I can't believe it. The cancer's still gone. I believe it. 
Because God don't do nothing by mistake. If he was ready for, for me to come home, I'd be in that grave. In a pine box or a coffin. I'd be worm food. Or I might be sitting on top of somebody's uh, fireplace mantle in a crate. But you know God is so powerful that I know that my God can grow limbs back. God can deliver your addiction and, and, and take you to a place that you never thought you'd go with him. Because I honestly believe that if I was ash on somebody's mantle, he could step down there and lay his hands on that and I come back to life right in the middle of the living room. Because there ain't a piece of me that he don't know where it's at. Imagine on that day when the dead in Christ rise first and those who are remained. Imagine those, those Christians that got their ashes spread somewhere on the water and their ashes just went everywhere. In the moment, in the twinkling of eye, somebody's ashes are coming together and they're going to go to meet God and we're going, here I go. It's my turn. It's worth serving the Lord. So Romans 8 and 11 says this, the, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. What does that mean? And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal body by the same spirit living in you. I'm not waiting just to die to live with him or to live in him. I'm already living in him. Some people got it thing that, that one day I'm going to have eternal life. No, baby, when you gave your life to him, you inherited eternal life right then. And I'm not out here trying to do preach kind of crazy and do crazy works and go carry a cross because I'm trying to receive something from God. I'm not performing. A lot of us got the idea, I've got to perform. And your house is broken. You come to church, you know how to wear the right clothes. You can sing the right songs. You know how to say the right things. You can even pray a good prayer. But when you go home, you act like the devil. God wants us to get our home in order. Because the church would never be in order if the home ain't in order. We, 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 we go to church and what we're really doing is go and we're scratching a religious itch. And God is tired of religion. He wants relationship. So what has he given us? What has he given us? Whether you know it or not. Whether you know it or not. You are in a spiritual warfare. Young and old. Whether you realize it or not, that some of us are controlled by a spirit that takes us to the trap house. They still got a smoking weed, snorting coke, sleeping around. I'm just going to say it like it is. Brother Mark told me I could make myself at home. And he already said that when he heard me pray, he heard my heart. And so he knew I wasn't going to mix words because I'm telling you, I don't mind being transparent because I lived that life. I was destroyed by a lack of knowledge and I was destroyed because my actions and my deeds was going against what Jesus wanted me to live. I was hurting my family. My wife would be here today. We was up at the hospital. I got her home at 2 a.m. and put her to bed. They were praying with me. They thought my wife was having a heart attack. Maybe God wanted me there just to pray for people. So he said, well, hit boy ain't just going to go on his own accord. And I'm going to have to really speak to him because, you know, he's got grass to cut and things to do around the house today that he's got planned. But I need that boy at the hospital praying for those nurses. I, there's some people that's going to come into that emergency room that needs their hands laid on them. So, sorry, Kim. But you're the guinea pig. <laughs> and then when they ran all the tests, I'm like, I can't find nothing. It's time to go home. 
And I was praying, God, get us home before midnight. It didn't happen. Okay, God, I'm going to set my clock for 8 a.m. And if you wake me up at 6, I'm going to pray with the group. But if you don't, I'm going to sleep in and go to church. <laughs> and he woke me up at 8. <laughs> Tell you, if you want to see things change in your life, start praying. If you really want to go to that next level, start praying. And pray consistently. And if you can't pray on your own consistently, get involved in a prayer group. And, and you don't have to pray every time you're on. You don't have to, have to worry about anything. Just get on and listen and see what God does. I remember Sister Cynthia barely even prayed anything. She come back from sore on fire. And she would apologize for how she would pray. Like, why in the world is this girl apologizing? Now she gets on there, and brother, she is lifting people up. God builds our faith. But I will tell you this, since I am a watchman, when you start praying and, getting your, and trying to get your life right, you're going to get attacked. And he's going to do everything in his power to make you quit. That's why you're in spiritual warfare. And, and where was our... Subject lesson out of this morning. No, no, I'm talking about for Sunday school. Sunday school. Corinthians, right? Was we in, what Corinthians was we in? Second Corinthians. So, so, the, so I believe, so I've done some studying, and, and I believe that spiritual warfare is very real. But I believe that most of us really don't understand it. And as a result of that, we don't take it seriously because we can't see it happening with our physical eyes. Someone said this morning in Sunday school that sometimes because we don't see God, we don't, we don't trust God. And some of us can't trust God because we had some jacked up dad. But it does have physical implications. I believe that spiritual warfare starts with us. I can't go out there and pray for people and lay hands for God to deliver and set them free if I ain't delivered and set free. I can't tell you to go love your neighbor if I don't love my neighbor. I, I can't stand up here and lie in the pulpit and tell you that God is good and I don't know it for myself. I believe it's at a battle within us one of the scriptures I think it's in Peter first Peter maybe says that for this cause Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and I believe that the very first place that he wants to destroy those works is inside of us it has to start with me I can't sit in this pulpit and tell you that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. I can't sit here and tell you that and, and sing a song and tell you that, that he'll reach way down and pick you up if I don't know it for myself. And I know that he will deliver and set you free because how did he deliver and set me free? It's one of the tools that we teach at SOAR. And if you ain't never been to SOAR, get these girls to help you sign up for in October. Because the Holy Spirit, when he began to deal with me, he said, that man that murdered your father, forgive him. And Jesus walked me on a journey to forgive the man that murdered my father. And if you're holding unforgiveness, I'm telling you, you're not free. You might think you're free. But I'm here to tell you, you'll never experience true freedom until you forgive. Because he said that in that same model prayer, forgive us of our debts. As what? And then if you read on past that, you'll see, he said, if you will forgive, your father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive, you won't be forgiven. And a lot of us are bound, and Satan has got us in shackles and chains and bondage because we refuse to forgive. Because we feel like that person hurts, they don't deserve forgiveness. But did you deserve forgiveness? 
We, we're waiting for people to come to us and say, please forgive me for what I did to you. And 90% of the time, that will never happen. So we need to learn to walk in a spirit of forgiveness that no matter what you do to me, before my head hits the pillow that night, you're forgiven. Because I want to stay forgiven. So we need to forgive. That's spiritual warfare. The Bible, okay, so it's a battle in our emotions, our fleshly lustful desires, our mindset, our mental health, and our spiritual health. The Bible often describes the life of someone following Jesus using the language and imagery of warfare. This is where the term spiritual warfare comes from. It refers to the ongoing struggle of living our lives in a way that puts pleasing God before pleasing ourselves or others. Spiritual warfare is also about recognizing that we have an enemy. Brother Mark talks a lot about the adversary. The devil who was battling to pull us away from God. He don't care if you come to church as long as you don't get church in you. He, he don't care if you're going home and beating down your wife or still using dope. Letting somebody else form your opinion, getting mad, throwing in the towel. He don't care if you come to church and scratch that religious itch. That's what he's hoping to do. He's What he's hoping is that you will not change. Because he wants to pull you from the Father. The same way that he pulled Adam and Eve from the Father. He wants to pull you. He wants to sift us. Jesus told Peter, hey, Peter. Man, the enemy, the devil wants to sift you like wheat. But I'm praying for you. So 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, For though we live in the world, we don't wage wars. The world does. But as soon as somebody, thank you, Jesus, as soon as somebody crosses our emotions, as soon as we get offended, we're ready to put a smack down on somebody. Because we're trying to wage war in the flesh and God doesn't want us to wage war. He wants us to wage that war in the spirit. Because I'm telling you, we, the spirit searches the deep things of God. The weapons that we fight with aren't weapons of the world. They're not guns, knives, fists, words. Men, I, don't, I only know a, a couple of people in here. But I'm going to say it like this. Because of our words, men, our wife don't trust us. Because of our words, we, we say one thing and live another. And if that's you today, there's deliverance in the house. Because God would, we, women are praying for a godly man. Some, some, I'm telling you, whew, thank you, Jesus. Let's turn to Malachi. Go to Matthew and make a left. We're going to go to chapter 2. And I'm telling you, what does Judah mean? Say it again, Pastor Mark, for those in the back that didn't hear it. Judah means praise. Every praise, every praise. Right? Every praise. Verse 11 says, Judah has been unfaithful. Where have you, we been unfaithful in our praise? And a detestable thing has been done in Israel and Jerusalem. The men of Judah have defiled the Lord's sanctuary. Don't come into the sanctuary. And, 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 and listen, there they had the physical sanctuary. Now we have churches or, or a, a hotel room or, or whatever. But the sanctuary that we're talking about today is in here. 
We've defiled that sanctuary. Had defiled the Lord's beloved sanctuary by marrying women who worship idols. Lord tells us in another scripture, don't be unequally yoked. But we're jumping from relationship to relationship because we, women, we feel like we need a man to make us happy. And we jump from relationship to relationship and we end up picking the same kind of dude, different face, different name, but the same spirit. You know I'm right. You, you can just put your finger up when you leave the building like that. <laughs> May the Lord cut off from the nation of Israel every last man who has done this and yet brings an offering. We give tithe. But because our life doesn't match up to what God requires of us, he ain't accepted that offering. We, we hear, give tithe, we, 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 and we should. We should give it, right? We, we, God wants a cheerful giver because I also know what it's like to be a giver and not be cheerful about it, but to give out of condemnation, to, to give out of manipulation, to get my lights cut off so the pastor don't get his lights cut off because he made me feel guilty as an elder of the church that I got to give everything. My wife and I used to get into every argument, every payday. How much you gonna give to? I'm giving it all. What? Man, we, we're in the dark. I ain't gonna pay that bill. But I felt guilty. And it took a long time for God to begin to work that out of me, and make me a chill forgiver again. Because I'd go to church like I ain't giving. I know I'm supposed to give. But God, ain't I gave all that back in the past and gave it and gave it and gave it and gave it until it, it hurt and was manipulated and thrown away. And because I disagreed with, with, a, with a pastor that they brought me in front of the whole church on the last Sunday I was there and going to cast demons out of me. Make me an example, a public example. And even when I went through cancer, some of those people sent me word. The reason that you got cancer is because you obeyed this man of God, disobeyed that man of God. And I just prayed for him because God done put me, done got me way past that. And here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears. Weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them. You cry out, why does not the Lord accept my worship? Why does it feel like God ain't hearing me? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you, you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, your wife of your marriage vows, did not the Lord make you one with your wife and your body and spirit? You are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife or youth for I hate divorce. Says the Lord, the God of Israel, to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. Says the Lord of heaven's army. So guard your heart. And do not be unfaithful to your wife. So the very first thing that we need to learn to do is take an evaluation. How am I treating my wife? I don't believe that I can lay hands on people, anoint with oil, and see them recover. And I, can, I don't believe that signs and miracles and wonders will follow the ministry that God has me in. Or when I go out to pray for people or see that, why? Because I have dishonored Sister Kim. I don't want that. 
Proverbs tells us that when a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing and he obtains God's favor. And I'm telling you, the only reason I feel like I've got so much favor in my life is because of my wife. Y'all don't know the stuff that my wife forgave me for. And I don't want to take that forgiveness lightly. Because I'm telling you, God can restore. I don't care if you've hurt them so bad or you've hurt each other so bad that you quit sleeping together, that you're not really living together, but you're still married on paper and, and, and you're going to church and you're acting like everything's okay, but your house is in ruins. I'm telling you, God knows how to deliver and set free. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What's a stronghold in your life? What are you still addicted to? Yourself? Your way? Pornography? Drugs? What are we still running to? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We have to understand, y'all, that Satan is the God of this world. And he has blinded those who don't believe. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 says they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ and that who is the exact likeness of God. Did you know? What's your name? Sharisha? Okay. I'm David. God bless you dearly. Do you realize that you are made in his image and his likeness? And that you're not junk? And what does the Father want? He wants us to reflect his image. When I look in the mirror, I don't want to see me. Oh, I do every morning. My eyes and all that yellow stuff hanging off of them. And what they call sleep, right? Nasty breath. Hair all over the place. Trying to wake myself up, get ready to go to work. I want to see Jesus. I don't want you to look at me and say, oh, that Pastor Dave is awesome. I don't even want you to be like me. I want you to be like Christ. If the best I'm doing is leading you to be like me, I'm, I'm missing it. Because we all need to be Him. We need to be created. We are created His image, and we need to reflect His image. I need to love my wife like Christ loves the church. Satan is committed to preventing us from knowing God and trusting Him with our lives. The enemy's tactics may differ depending on someone who's already a Christian or not, but his ultimate purpose is to keep people from experiencing the love of God. So how do we fight? How do I fight those feelings? How, how, how do I get past my, my junk, my mess? How do I really commit myself to God to watch Him transform me. Did you know that God is not trying to change you? <laughs> we pray God change my husband, change my wife, change my job, change my boss. You know, He's not really ultimately trying to change us. He doesn't want to change us to where that we are a better version of our old self. He is completely trying to transform us so we walk like, we act like, and we talk nothing like our former selves. Sometimes we do, though, need to Him to change our diapers, don't we? Because we done messed all over ourselves. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it. I can't take it back. My wife tells me, she said, you know, the way you love people, you put yourself out on an island. And you leave yourself vulnerable to hurt and disappointment 
And I said, yeah, but you know what? The risk-reward for me is awesome because if a one person comes to the saving knowledge of God, if I'm able to help one guy overcome addiction, if I'm able to see people be transformed because I feel like God also gives me a front-row seat to see transformation. What I saw, what happened to Sheila, we won't go into what they had to do because we don't give that away. You've got to experience it for yourself. But what I watched that and watched what happened to her, that is the reward to see God move in people's life and transform them. Two years ago, I went to Quest. I went and took my journey, Mark. Heard y'all talking about it on the podcast. And, and while I was there, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in such a way. And this is what Daddy God told me. Quit looking for a spiritual father. Because all the humans are going to do is abuse you. And they're going to see that you're weak and that you can be manipulated. I said, why did I experience that? He said, because the person I'm making you to be needed to feel the pain of that rejection. You, I needed you to feel the worthlessness. I needed you to feel religious abuse to you. Because the person I'm making you to become, you will not abuse others. That I'm making, I am answering your prayer to love like I love. And sometimes that love can hurt. And he says, quit looking for another spiritual father. I am your father. You are my son. And that's why I know, Sheila, that I am a forgiven son of God. And what's my purpose? To love, forgive, and help a hurting world overcome and live a victorious life. He said, I'm making you a mentor to men. Going forward for you, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised I got notes. But going forward for you, ministry is going to be less and less about preparing sermons, but it's going to be all about preparing a generation. And God has been teaching me how to pray. I felt, I felt like my prayer life was weak. Therefore, I was weak. And I would do good for a while that I would get bombarded by the enemy and get knocked back. And the only reason I even went into this prayer group is because I love Veronica. She's my sister. And she asked me to come. I'm like, man, I really don't like these prayer group things. Because people pray over each other. They try to compete with each other. It's all about selfishness. I, I'm, I'm not into that. So I showed up. Please state your name, Pastor Dave. I'm in. And I've been in since May. Is that right? And my prayer life has changed. My desires have changed. Have I been attacked? Man, you bet you more than I've ever been attacked in my life because the devil wants to sift me like wheat. And God told me, concentrate concentrate on them men from Triumph Village and keep mentoring them. Work and concentrate on your community group, the chosen doers. And then work on your family. Those are the, your three areas. So where does he give me? Nearly half of the chosen doers are either in sore or working sore. <laughs> but we need to grow. Why? Because we got to go out there and build his kingdom. So, so, so how do we fight? Most of us are fighting in our flesh and not using the Holy Spirit's power. So Paul sums up the weaknesses of the flesh in Romans 7. And I, I brought this from the message. He said, I can anticipate the response that is coming. 
I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I am not. Isn't this also your experience? I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. So what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. I, just, I want to do what's right. I do doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what's best for myself, then do it. It becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. Those commandments that was given in Exodus lets us know how bad we need a Savior. But I need something more. For I know the law, but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I don't realize. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I really don't do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in action. Sometimes has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. Anybody feel that way sometimes? It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer is, thank God, that Jesus Christ can and does. And he acted to set things right in the life of contradictions where I want to serve God. With all my heart and mind, so I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. So what do I need? I need Jesus. And I say, Lord, don't just baptize me with water. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Since Jesus wants us to reflect His image, Scripture teaches us to love the same way he did. John 15 and 12 said, This is my commandment that you love each other the way I've loved you. That if we're his follower, if we say that we are his disciple, that means I have died to myself, that means that he's my master, and I need to obey my master, and I need to love you exactly where you're at. I need to look past what you're doing. I need to, 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 sometimes my flesh wants to jerk you around the neck and shake you real good, but the Lord said that is not the way you love people. You love them exactly the way I told you. So if we're able to love the way that Jesus does, should we not also fight spiritual warfare the way Jesus does? After all, does the Word of God not teach us in Philippians 2 and 5, let this bind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Maybe I will start winning some spiritual battles in my life if I fight like he fought. When he was here on the earth walking in his flesh. So let's look at what he did to give us. Jesus often slipped away to pray. Right? Luke 18 tells us what, Pastor Martin? That men always ought to pray and not faint. So Jesus wanted to give God his full attention and spend some time with his heavenly father. Even if Jesus needed to withdraw from crowds and his friends to be alone with God, how much more do we need to do that? Jesus often combined prayer with fasting. Fasting can enhance our ability to hear God. Jesus fasted 40 days before beginning his public ministry. And how about the Holy Spirit's power? John 20, 21 and 22, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is one of the notes I got because I dug in 
there's the Greek word emphasio. Probably not pronouncing that right being from East Texas, right? But that means breathed. The Greek word here used is employed nowhere else in the New Testament. Last night I was going to tell you this and you said, hold it, man, hold it, hold it. But this is the very one used by the Septuagint translators of Genesis 2 and 7 when God breathed into breath of life into Adam's nostrils. So this breath that Jesus breathed on them was for life. But in Acts chapter 2, the wind of the Holy Spirit was for power. So he breathed life into us and then he brought us the power of the Holy Spirit to do what? To be a witness and to overcome in our daily lives. I don't want to be the witness that, that they say that I'm committing perjury. I want to be a credible witness. I want you to see me as Christ sees me. I want you to know that I love you, but I want you to also know that he can deliver, he can set you free, and he can make you the man and the woman and the young person that he wants for you because he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. I can't do your plan. I can't walk in your purpose. But guess what? Our purposes can walk together. Pastor Mark may have a different walk or may have a different plan or may have a different call. But you know what? He and I can walk together in agreement because how can two walk unless they agree? And I'm telling you, we can be used together to bring glory to the Father. I don't have to be divided. Unity, y'all, starts in the church. If, I'm telling you, if the church was united, the world wouldn't have any chance but to get it right. We say that we want revival. But the first thing that needs to be revived is the deadness in us. And let God make us who He wants us to be. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God transforms us. He gives us gifts to be used, not for selfish, but for kingdom building. I don't want to build me. I don't want to build an empire. I'm not trying to build a brand. I want to build the Father's kingdom. And, what, and every tool at that disposal that God says go do, I want to do it for His kingdom. I do soar because it builds the kingdom. I do mentoring because it builds the kingdom. I pray for people because it builds the kingdom. I believe in healing. I believe that God can shut cancer down just like that. He asked me, Dave, do you believe that my spirit lives in you? I said, yes, Lord, I believe it. He, and he told me seven years ago, since my spirit lives in you, I'm not going to allow cancer to live there very much longer, but I want you to go through it because you're not going through it right. You're feeling sorry for yourself. The Lord said, when you have to go get hooked up to chemo, they, they did surgery and put a port in me, metaport, right here in my chest. Still got the scar. And every day when I look in the mirror, I see that scar, but I see, I don't see something ugly. <laughs> I see a miracle. He said, and you start willing that thing around with you. And you make the circle at the cancer center that, where they give you chemo. And you start praying for others. You start going around and start asking. You're going to find out that there's people in a lot worse shape than you are. You're going to make friends and some of those friends are going to come to glory. You're going to make friends. You're going to see some of them get healed. But you, I have a plan and a purpose. And I want you to realize that you're not in this alone. I want you to learn how to pray for the caregivers and the nurses because they're in battling for you. Not every nurse has got my spirit. Not every person going through cancer has got my spirit, but you know what? Go love on them. One thing I learned about healing is God's calling card because that's, that's one of God's love languages. And he also gave us armor. Sheila talked about that this morning. 
So often people struggle to realize and recognize that the battles they face every day are not against other people, but against spiritual forces. Human nature leads us to believe the conflicts we face in life are because people have wronged us. While sometimes that is true, there's also a bigger spiritual enemy who God wants us to focus on defeating. So what did God give us? Do we know that he gave us armor, right? And he says in Ephesians 6, Paul writes, Finally be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Am I okay? Am I doing okay? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil of the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth. Buckled around your waist. And with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet feeded with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish in all the flaming arrows of the either one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And he says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. That's Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 in the NIV. So God wears the same armor. Did you know that? Isaiah 59, 17 says he put on righteousness as his body armor and he placed the helmet of salvation on his head. So the armor that Paul describes is based on the typical armament of a Roman soldier. The elite fighters of the dominant military power during his time, Paul uses these physical weapons as a metaphor to describe the various characteristics and actions of those who will stand firm on spiritual warfare. He said the belt of truth. That belt of a Roman soldier set on his waist and was used to keep the body armor in place. It also held a sheath for the sword to sit in ready for the soldier to draw. Wearing that belt of truth means protecting yourself with the truth of God. What is the truth about you? What is the truth? Or are you still playing those negative tapes, those lies that were spoken, that you'll never be nothing, that you don't amount to nothing? The devil's going to tell you clever lies, and he's going to make them believable. But you can defend against this attack by knowing and trusting the truth that God has told you through Christ. See, God wants us to use the whole armor of God. I'm getting ready to close. That's why he wants us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Because it's not our righteousness, it's his righteousness. And it's not the stuff that we do that makes us righteous. It's what Christ did to make us righteous. Sometimes holiness looks like what somebody wears to church. And they can look holy. And they can pray like they can pray nothing. Like, like they can pray down heaven. But it, it's just empty because their life doesn't match up with what they show. And God wants us to f focus on right living and honoring and obeying His will. Saying no to sin. Are we actively living out and experiencing the righteousness that we have in followers of Jesus? Righteousness is something we're given by God and something we grow into. And we're covered by His righteousness that declares His, you're innocent before God. And His righteousness allows you to grow in your own obedience as the Holy Spirit changes you. And He gives us shoes for our feet. Funny thing about it is when the prodigal son came running home, Coming to himself, the father went out to meet him. And he says, bring me a robe and shoes for his feet. So, so he wants us to have those shoes. He said, Christians must put on the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. He wants us to take up the shield of faith and wield that faith, that, the, the fiery darts, the, the tests, the tribulations, the trials, the lies. And the helmet of salvation. We need our mind right. 
The helmet was made of leather and metal and covered the soldier's heads and cheeks. It needed to be strong enough to give the soldier confidence as he went into battle. And I'm here to tell you, when you pray, because pray, prayer is a weapon. When, when we pray, I'm telling you, God makes us stronger. And he gives us confidence knowing that if I'm in his will, that God will make, he will work for me, and he will work with me. And he gives us the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. That's why Jesus kept saying in the wilderness, it is written, it is written, it is written. But what about another piece of armor? Romans 13 tells us that we need to understand our present time. The hour has already come for you to, to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. That armor of light that Paul's talking about is a, is a metaphor about living an honest and honorable life. means being honest about the temptations that we face and being transparent with trusted friends about where you need God's help. Living this way is worth it because the result is intimacy with Christ and readiness for spiritual warfare. A good soldier stays awake. And I ain't talking about woke. Because a lot of people are still asleep, but they're woke. And sober. With his armor already on, ready at the times for battle that's coming. You belong to Christ. That means put it on the armor of God daily so you're prepared when Christ returns. And remember that God is faithful. He protects his people and equips his people for every spiritual battle. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And there's no better protection you can have than God guiding you from within and transforming your thoughts and desires so that you love him and you want to follow him. Satan would have to tell you, he wants you to think, I can't do this. I can't stay married to my husband. I can't treat my wife right. I can't live what they're telling me in church. Satan would have you telling you that it's not worth it. And throwing your hands up and quitting and throwing in the towel. But we're so close now to salvation. We're so close to his coming. Don't give up the fight. Listen, if we're going to have to fight, we've got to fight. We're in a spiritual warfare. Why not fight to win? So there's no reason to be fearful or timid or lack courage. So I love how 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says it in the Passion Translation. For God will never give you the spirit of fear, but the Holy Spirit who gives you mighty power, love, and self-control. So we must understand that while there will be troubles in this life, the Father provides everything we need to walk with him for a lifetime. And that's what God does. He didn't come send me here today to condemn or make you feel like a scum sucking dog. He brought me here to love you today and to let you know how much he loves you. He's not mad at you. He's mad about you. He's not sitting up on a throne room with a big Thor hammer waiting to crush you when we mess up. Satan would have you believe that he, that God is mad at you. He would have, he would speak lies to you that says that you can't make it. He will tell you 
He will try his best to stop you from praying. But really what he really wants to do is to stop you from experiencing the love of a true father. And that love changes everything. Father, I pray. I thank you, God. I hope you're pleased, Jesus. I thank you all. And I ask you, Father God, pray for you? I feel like the Lord just told me to pray for you. Where are you battling it at? Where's it at? You, you don't have to tell